I mean, how was that worship this morning? Eh? Worship team? Steph? <laughs> and uh, I don't know about you guys, but have you sensed the hunger that's been growing in our times in the last in the last few months? Anyone sense like there's a just a hunger for the presence of God? Thank you, Kathy. I see that name. If you aren't Pentecostals. Um, but I feel like God, what God is doing is just like creating a, a, a sense of hunger, a fresh hunger in our in our lives and our meetings and our gatherings together. Somebody give me an amen. And I feel like this morning he's coming to just, the sense I got was like, he's coming to cut, cut our hearts. He's coming to just give us like a fresh longing again for the presence of God. Like, Lord, please, please let me never become familiar with your presence. And um, for, I think it's my first slide. Um, I was driving in my car this week, uh, second slide. And uh, I had this picture of Jesus walking into the room, and he took, there was this pile of papers, and he began to tear it up. And I felt like Jesus saying, I'm tearing up repeat scripts. And I've like never thought about a repeat script before. I didn't even think I've ever had a repeat script in my life, medical. And I felt like what God wants to do this morning is, like some of you, I really feel like God is going to break out healing this morning. Some of you who are on repeat scripts for long-term chronic medication, we want to trust God to bring healing to your bodies this morning. We pray for you then. And then I felt the other thing was that a lot of us have these repeat mental scripts in our lives where it's either like unbeatable patterns or addictive thought cycles or just that constant rumination, that destruct, those destructive thought patterns. And I felt like Jesus literally came in and he just tore them up. He said, that's it. And he's going to do that this morning as I preach. And some of you guys are going to feel the presence of God while I preach. Some of you guys are going to feel heat or just like a deep sense of peace. Because preaching is not a message. Preaching is an encounter with the message. The sign of a good preach is not that you go away having learned more. The sign of a good message or preach is that you go away having encountered Jesus. I'll say amen to that. So if you have your Bibles, we are, what did Terry say, 12 weeks of slave to identity. We're 12 weeks in, week 13, Ephesians 1. I'm going to read from verse 15 to 20, but I'm going to focus on Ephesians 1.18. And I just felt like God said that He wants to go after audacious hope this morning. He wants to go after audacious hope. So get ready because... Jesus is about to walk in the room and fill our hearts with hope, whether you like it or not. As my friend Julian Adams says, I'll preach myself happy. Ephesians 1 for me, for this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, we heard about glory in our worship today. The Father of glory, that He may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He's called you. 
What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what it is his immeasurable greatness of power towards us who believe? I'll stop there. But I've just been meditating on that verse. I pray that the eyes of your hearts, the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you. You can like think about that verse probably months. Paul Johnson says, those with the most hope have the most influence. It's an amazing quote. And Francis Frenchman says, any area of my life that is not glistening with hope is where I'm believing a lie. Any area of my life that I'm not glistening with hope. What would it look like for Cape Town, for this city, to encounter a community of people who are glistening with hope? Someone once said, hope is the belief that the future will be better than the present. I'm up for that stage six later. I went to the States. The last time I went to the States was 13 rand to the dollar. This time I was 20 rand to the dollar. I was like 20 cuts every time. It's like, Lord, I have hope that the future will be better than the present. Can you turn it around? And you know, we have the power to help make it so. You know that the, we talk about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the inbreaking of the future into the present. You get that? Jesus said, when he taught his disciples to pray, pray he said, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So let what's happening in heaven break in in earth. Let the future perfected reality of what we hope for, let's pull it forward and let it break in now. The present becoming, the future becoming present. Make sense? We, as a people of the kingdom who've met Jesus, Derek Morphy says, when you've met Jesus, you've met your end. Because God is the beginning and the, you've met your end. So we, people who met Jesus, who met our end, we're actually, as the people who believe that heaven can break into earth now, we are bridges between the present reality and all the stuff we see now, and the future reality of the coming kingdom. Your life should be a bridge for other people to walk over from the present muck that we're living in to the future hope of the kingdom that wants to break in. Amen. Hope is the tangible expectation of His kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. When we say, Lord, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, we say, let what is fully realized in heaven, let it break out on earth. That's why we pray for the sick. That's why we speak prophetic words and say, this is the preferred future of God over your life. I see it. I'm going to declare it. I'm going to join my faith with it. And I'm going to say, there must be more than we see right now because hope is the expectation of good breaking in. Thank you. <laughs> our hope level determines our influence level. 
And I know I might be being a bit cheeky, but I already felt that God said he's coming after hopelessness this morning. And I had such a vivid image in my mind this week of hopes being dashed. I literally had a picture of someone like standing and like, like a Greek person throwing these plates like over a cliff, these like big ceramic porcelain plates. And as they hit the bottom of the cliff, they just got dashed and smashed on these rocks. Have you ever had your hopes like completely dashed? And I felt like God said, I am the rock. If your hopes have been dashed, I am the rock of salvation. Psalm 62 says, Yes, my soul found rest in God. My hope comes from Him. Truly, He is my rock and my salvation. And I felt like God said on every area in our lives where we feel like our hopes have literally been dashed on the rock of expectation or the rock of someone else that we've been relying on, He says, no, I'm the rock and I will redeem every place where your hopes have been dashed because your hope comes from me. And I heard this phrase this week in my mind, like, what would it look like to walk with the footsteps of hope? What would it look like? You know, have you ever walked behind someone who's walking with such purpose and determination? There's like a rhythm as they're in pursuit of something. If you walk behind someone who's just like on a mission, there's like this rhythm to their footsteps and they go. Because hope creates an expectation. You can hear the difference between someone who's walking with intent and someone who's walking with disdain and discouragement. And I felt like for some of us, God is literally going to change the tempo and the rhythm of how we walk as He lifts our heads. Psalm 3 verse 3, it says, He is the lifter of our heads. And I felt God say, the lifter of our heads is here this morning. And He's lifting our heads because He's raising our gaze. And He's causing us to walk with hope. Because what happens when you walk with hope, you become a little bit like the Pied Piper and people start to follow you. Because once you spend time with someone with hope, it's contagious. Hope creates an expectation. And you know, we need hope for this country, for the city, for this next generation. And God, I just feel like His fingerprints, He's just massaging this into us this morning that you have hope. We need to start to imagine what does hope look like? What does hope sound like? What does hope feel like? We know what hopelessness looks like. We read about it. You pick up your device, it's just hopelessness, discouragement, conflict, confusion. He's called us to be carriers of hope. I feel like in our church we need to start to start to tell hope stories. That phrase came to me. What would it look like to start to tell some of your own story of hope? What if Cape Town became known as the Cape of Good Hope? Shit, somebody's alive out there. And I, and I feel like God is calling us to become people and places of hope. And I know I'm going off this quite hard this morning, but I feel like 
God is saying, your life is a place of hope. And when other people walk into the circumference of your life, they will get caught up in the hope that you profess. Hebrews 10.23, hold, holding unswervingly to the hope we profess, because He who promised is faithful. We hold to the hope that we confess and profess unwaveringly because He is faithful, not because we are faithful, but that God is faithful to do what He said He would do. And when God's spoken a word over your life, He's faithful to perform it. So we can hold on to the hope and says, God said it, it's not just because I believe that He's going to do it, but because I know His nature. And he is not a man that he should love. When he speaks, his words are faithful and true. Not just because he's God, but because he is truth itself. Romans 5 5 says, God, hope is not a disappointing fantasy, or hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts. By the Holy Spirit, Romans 5, 5. Hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts. When you encounter the love of God in your life, if you've never encountered it before, you're going to encounter it today. When you encounter the love of God, when Jesus shows you His unparalleled love, it does something in your heart and it awakens hope. And I, and I just feel like God says to somebody, hope does not disappoint and he's going to break disappointment. He's going to break disappointment of our lives. Because you know what disappointment does? It makes your heart sick. Proverbs 13, 12, hope deferred makes the heart sick. But a longing for full is a fear of life. So when hope is deferred and you keep hoping and it keeps being deferred, you get sick in your heart and you're like, ah, well, it's just never going to happen. I'll just live with disappointment. Because it's easier to live with disappointment than to live with expectation and have my hopes dashed again. But the Lord says, no, hope does not disappoint. And if you need a fresh injection of hope, you don't need more courage or faith. You just need the love of God poured out into your heart again, knowing that He is good. He is kind. He is faithful. He is true. He will come through for you. And I don't know where you're at right now, but I felt like there was someone who came here this morning and you literally felt that God does not speak to me today. Like I'm going to end my life. And I, I don't know if, if that applies to anyone. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to pull you off. But I just feel like that's you today. God wants you to know that He has your number. He knows your name. And that you will live and not die because there's hope in the name of Jesus. And if that is you, we'd love to pray for you afterwards because I feel like God is doing something in you. He's lifting off the spirit of death and destruction. The lift of our heads, yeah. Romans 5, 5 Hope does not put us to shame And for some of us It's just like the Lord just wants to break The sense of shame of our lives 
Even if it's not from anyone else, sometimes we just feel like, you know, I've hoped that that would happen. And I'm just so disappointed, I'm just so ashamed of myself. But God says He breaks the law. But where does hope come from? Because it's not just, okay, cool, let's just get a nice positive message and like they're dragging us up and it's like cool we're going to be full of hope and like things are getting better and it's like the power of positivity no this is what romans 15 13 says now may the god of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the holy spirit so we, we talk about, and Tim came up earlier and said, like, we just love the, the, the power of the Holy Spirit, the presence of God, encountering God. We don't just encounter God to, like, stand here and be like, oh, yes, goosebumps, oh, oh, it's getting up fix. Maybe that's just me. But know that God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, He fills your life with joy and with peace. And what happens when the enemy comes after you, you always try and disrupt your joy and your peace. Because he's actually after your hope. He's like, if, they, if they're living in conflict and strife and lack of peace, they're not going to have hope. If they don't have joy, they're not going to have hope. So we encounter the Holy Spirit and he fills us with joy. Knowing joy is the expectation of good in the midst of whatever circumstance we're going through. That we would abound in hope. And I feel like God is restoring joy. When last did you laugh in church? Yeah. And He's restoring peace. I really believe this. Like the anxiety crisis that we're seeing and the mental health crisis we're seeing is because there's a battle for a generation for peace. And the Bible says, his peace that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Sorry, I don't know the I don't know the uh, actual verse um, reference. That his peace is a guard to your mind and your heart. I hope this is helping you guys. Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your hearts may be enlightened in order that you may know your hope. So he's saying, there's something that has to happen in your heart in order that you know the hope that he's called you to. As a man thinks in his heart, so he is, his problems. I think it's Proverbs um, 4.23, it says, God, above all else, guard your heart. Above all else, guard your heart. For from it flow the issues, the rivers of life. So Paul's saying, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know hope. God is coming after our hearts. Because he knows that as we are in our hearts, so we are. As we think in our hearts, so we are. And we need to guard our hearts because from our hearts flow the issues of life. 
That's why I hope the third makes the heart sick. And the heart is in, in scripture is the place of, of, of like the, the coming together place of your, your mind, will, emotions, your like the center of your being. So he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart. I love that phrase, the eyes of your heart. Like I think in, in, in the Greek, it's like ophthalmos, like ophthalmology, the ability to see. You see, in the ancient world, like we we think that we think like because we understand the science of how we see, of how vision works, that our eyes take in light. But in the ancient world, they had a much different understanding of your eyes weren't actually the things that took light in, but were the part of you that displayed the light of what was happening inside of you. It's a little bit of a confusing thing, but let me explain it. So this guy writes, Jewish literature indicates that a person with good eyes is morally sound. That's why Proverbs says, he who has a bountiful eye will be blessed. So the theory among the Greeks was that the eye was like a lamp or even the sun emitting rays or beams to the object seen. So they didn't think like you were taking light in, but it was actually they thought your, your, your eye was, was the thing that was giving off light. So if they saw someone whose eyes looked bad or dodgy, they said there's something not right going on inside because what's happening on the inside of them is reflected by the light or the lack thereof coming out of them. Have I lost you? Are you with me? So expressions in the Old Testament and Proverbs the Jews thought of the eye as having its own light. The Psalm 38, the light of my eyes has gone from me. The Proverbs 29, the Lord gives light to the eyes. Um, Job 18, my eyes acting as lamps looked about. So that's what Jesus says, I think it's in Matthew. He talks about if your if your eye is good, then what's happening on the inside of you is good. So when Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, he's saying, if the posture of your heart is good, you understand who God is and what you've been called to, then your eyes begin to emit light and you begin to know the hope to which he's called. And isn't it interesting that when Daniel and when Revelation talks about Jesus, they say, we saw one talking about Jesus with eyes like flame fire. And I just saw Jesus looking into some of our eyes, where it's like our eyes are going dim because the issues of life are the issues of our hearts and just overwhelmed us. And I saw Jesus looking at us in the eyes with eyes of fire. And as we gazed into them, it was like he just began to enlighten. That word in the Greek is, I think it's fortitra, literally is what we use for photosynthesis. That he would restore the light of hope to our eyes. I got excited about that. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that you may know. See, when, you're, when, you, when your heart is in a good place and your heart can see properly, it 
doesn't say that you can see the hope, but that you can know the hope. There is a knowing. In that, in, in that culture, knowing is not just a mental descent. Knowing is to experience the reality of a thing. So when he says, I pray that you may know the hope, he's like, I want you to live experiencing the reality of the hope to which I call you. So, it sounds like this big thing, but you know, because it's the posture of our hearts, Jesus spoke about the heart, and he said, you know, the famous parable, the, the seed and the sow. Because faith and hope always comes in seed format. Got a picture um, of it. Yeah, we're out in the Cedarberry, I think, the last week, last weekend. And um, at Jenna's uncle, he's planted these amazing paper bark trees. You can see a bit blurry in the background. You, you can pro- probably see that seed, the size of that seed in my hand. And we're just like playing with the, with the shells that fall off the trees, just taking the seeds out. And he's like replanting them. And I just began to think, you know, isn't it amazing that the full DNA Every element of that tree that you see in the background is within that seed. Every aspect of that tree that is going to grow into and become sits in the seed. That's why Jesus said, all you need is faith the size of the mustard seed to be mountains. Because he wasn't referring to the size of the seed or the size of the mountain, but he was referring to the fact that the seed itself contains the very life and the opportunity to grow. So as we cultivate something, it grows. And the kingdom of God is always measured in increase. The kingdom of God is always expanding. So what happens is, we see hope in someone else's life as a fully grown or fully developed tree. And we want to just like transform that tree into our own life. When God comes and He gives it to us as a seed. And He says, here's the hope. Cultivate the posture of your heart hope will grow and will multiply and as you give it away it will continue to grow because the intention of that seed is not to be held on to it's just to be planted and the thing about planting is that it ain't fun because you go into the ground it smells like dung it feels like being buried and you don't see a lot of light and a lot of hope and a lot of fruits initially and what the enemy will do is try and convince you that when you've been planted by God, that he's trying to bury you. But actually, many of us, our lives feel like we're in the dark, we're surrounded by dung, we're six feet under, nothing's going on. But the reality is, that's the perfect environment for a seed to cultivate. And the intention of the seed is for the tree to grow, and the intention of the tree to create more seed. Because we always exist. The Bible says the man of God, Psalm 1, is like a tree planted by A tree exists to bring life to everything around it. So when hope is planted in your life, if you tend that life, what you water will grow. And as you grow into a tree, you become a place for others to find hope.
And then he ends and he says, I pray that you may know the hope to which you have been called. And God has called us by name, he's called us from the future. It's not just like, oh, you just got to like have the right path past and you'll know hope. No, there's a calling of hope in your life. Every person we encounter in the Bible has a calling of destiny and hope. And God comes into the most obscure situations, the most random people, the people would never choose, and He calls them out. And something gets established in their life, and they live, and if they follow Him and they believe and they trust Him, hope arises. You have a calling of hope on your life to transform the city, to transform what God has placed in your family, in your work, in your studies, wherever you find yourself. There is a calling of hope on you. And I just feel that so strongly that God says, I'm restoring to you that you may know the hope to which you called. Because He's called us to be hope dispensers. Can I have the band up? I know it's just funny, Evan. Let's, let's just stand together. I'm really hoping to create some space to minister to people. I do know it's gone on a bit late. someone fought and sinned. 
Thank you.